So again, I apologize. I'm a little sick. I'm a little under the weather. My voice is uh, going to be a little in and out. So uh, please excuse uh, if I have to take a drink of water here and there. Um, I, I think I have learned something as I was laying in bed with a fever and as I was kind of coughing up a lung, uh, you know, bruising some ribs and just, just feeling so sick. Um, I think I learned, learned a lot, uh, actually, um, after, during this sick season. Uh, it's kind of nice. Uh, I know it's really, it's really bad being sick and it's, it, you know, it stinks having all the mucus and all the phlegm. But it's kind of nice because everyone is very kind. Everyone's really kind and understanding to you. Um, you know, my wife, bless her heart, she, she was cooking uh, all this Korean food for me. And it's like my favorite food. And she would cook it for me. And she would, she would bring it even into my, my office and my study. She would bring it on this tray. And she would, she would set it down. And, and there would be all this food. And, and I wouldn't even have to take it back. And she, she, would, she would clean it up for me. And, and usually I help with the kids. And, and my wife is so good, like taking care of all the kids and making sure that I'm, I'm pampered. And there's a point in me. I'm like, I, you know, I feel really bad. But man, it feels so good. Like it feels so good to be taken care of. You know, I talk to other people. Everyone's so kind. They're all like, um, you know, like, oh, I hope you feel better, praying for you. And even just that, just that, that, that warmth of, of feeling love, the feeling um, as if people cared, it's such a good feeling. You know, there's, there's a point where I, got, I was getting so, um, so sick, and my wife started to get worried. She's like, you need to call a doctor. Um, I'm not used to that because uh, both my parents are doctors, and so when I was growing up, um, I never, I didn't go to the doctor. Like, I, I didn't go because I had my mom, and my mom, my mom is, a pedi- was a, is a pediatrician. So instead of calling a doctor, I would just go, oh, ma, mom, you know, like, I'm sick. But my parents are actually in the Philippines, or were in the Philippines while I was sick, so I couldn't just call them or I couldn't talk to them. Um, and then the next person I go to is my older sister, and she's an emergency medicine doctor. So she's the one that you go to when you're really in trouble, but she's also in the Philippines. And so it was like this, this going through all the doctors and trying to figure out who to call and who to talk to. Um, but basically, my aunt, who's also a doctor here in Colorado, uh, gave her a call. And it's, it's always interesting when you talk to doctors um, and, and you, you, you hear what they have to say. Um, it's, it's very kind, but also it's... it's they want to know what's wrong. They want to know the symptoms. And, and not only do they want to hear the symptoms, they want to be able to treat not only the symptoms, but the root behind your symptoms. So as I was talking to my aunt, um, I actually went into her office, and, and she gave me a little examination. She, she checked my lungs, and she made sure everything was okay. Um, and it's that reassurance of knowing that it wasn't just sympathy. You know, she had a lot of sympathy. She, she was very kind, and she was very like, oh, you sound terrible, and, and you know, hope you feel better. Um, but it was an assurance of knowing, you know, you're going to be fine. You know, you're not dying. Like, that was one of the reasons why I even went to her office was because um, Grace, my wife, was a little worried that I was sick for like a week and a half. So she's like, man, you need to go see a doctor. Like, read what it says on NyQuil. NyQuil says if, if your symptoms last longer than a week, go see a doctor. Um, so I went there, and I was, telling, I was telling my aunt, I was basically like, the only reason why I'm here is because, you know, my, uh, you know Grace is worried. And, and so my aunt's not just giving me sympathy. She gave me the assurance of knowing, you know, you're going to be fine. But she also does one thing. Uh, my aunt, she prays for me. And, and she prays for me and she prays this prayer of asking the Lord to help uh, during my sickness. And what I'm learning, what I'm learning in my life, not just with physical sickness, I'm learning this with sin. That many times when people come to church, 
when people come to worship, it's because life isn't perfect. It's because we're broken and we deal with the effects and symptoms of sin. And many times it's our fault. And, and I'm not even saying, like, even, even with this, I have the flu. And, and, and like, I, I hear that guilt. It's like, you should have got the flu shot. Like, it's my fault. Like, you know, I, I, should, have, I should have got that, that simple flu shot and I wouldn't be here. But it was very interesting. Not once did I feel guilty. Not once did I feel shame. That when, when the people who actually care about me and love me, when they come and talk to me, it wasn't them trying to make me feel bad for being sick. It wasn't about them trying to make me feel like it was my fault for being sick. They were concerned about me. They wanted to help me. They wanted to make sure that I'm okay. And the doctors, again, they didn't want to make me feel bad. They wanted to treat my symptoms. They wanted to treat the roots. And not only that, my aunt, being such a great doctor, she was praying for me, knowing that God is the one who is able to heal. God is the one who is able to save. You see, when I, when I think about a church and I think about a ministry, and I, I think about people coming in with their sins and their symptoms, they're so afraid. Many times people are so afraid to come into the threshold of the sanctuary because they know, oh no, if I go into the sanctuary, my sin's going to show up. My symptoms are going to show up. My, my evil, the, 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 the brokenness of my life is going to show up. And, and not only is it going to show up, people are going to judge me. They're going to say, you're sick, you're, you're broken. How dare you come into our place where everyone is healthy, everyone is, everyone is clean, everyone is, everyone is in good spirits. Why would you ruin the party by coming in with your sin? How dare you? But instead, I would hope that when someone comes in with their sin, that we embrace them. And we ask them, how can we help you? How can we support you during this difficult time? And yes, it may be their fault. Their sin may be their fault, but what I'm learning and I'm seeing even during my time of this struggle with a physical illness is that many times people are dealing with spiritual illnesses and instead of having people come down on them and judge them and make them feel even worse, that many times it's our, it's our job to feed them, to comfort them, to embrace them. And yes, some of you are very well versed in, in how to treat these symptoms and Great, that's wonderful. Talk to them, lead them into a road to recovery, but view it just as that, that leading them out of their sin is a road to recovery. That it's a way to bring them out of the muck and mire into health, into good spiritual health. That it's not about them feeling bad, but it's about trying to help them learn to live a life of healthy, a healthy life, a healthy spiritual life. And at the end of the day, that it's only the Lord who can heal. That it's only the Lord who can save. Today, I'm going to read us a very long passage. And I, I don't even want to apologize that I'm reading a very long passage today. Because my words don't matter. But the Lord's words matter so much. Last week, we, we, we talked about Nicodemus. And I wanted to title that, that sermon, A Conversation with a, a Skeptic. Um, but it was called Born Again as the theme was Born Again. Today's sermon is titled The Woman at the Well. But I really wanted to title this A Conversation with a Sinner. And, and the reason why is that Jesus is having this intense conversation 
with a sinful woman. And we learn so much about how Jesus deals with sinners. And I hope that it would reveal something to you today. So if you would open up your Bibles with me (coughs) to John chapter 4. And we're going to start from verse 7. Again, this is a long passage. But I hope you know that I love reading the Word of God. I love reading what God has to say to us. And it's not just what what I want to say, but it's what God wants to impress on me a drink. You would have asked him, said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now, you now have, is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will, your, will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. I'm going to say that again. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that, that Messiah, Savior, is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. We're going to stop there. We have more to read, but we're going to stop there for now. So Jesus, oh man, I love this story. The reason why I love this story. And it's not, like, I would say it's not my favorite Bible story, but it's one of the most important Bible stories. The reason why I love this is that what we find in the other Gospels is that Jesus is talking to this woman in the middle of the day. It's at noon. And this woman has come to draw water. And we, what we have to understand about that day and age is that the well, especially Jacob's well, is, is a place where the women, just culturally, it's, it's not because men were, you know, it, it, it's, it's just the culture. The women got the water. I don't, know, I don't know why, but that's how it was. The women would go early in the morning before the sun would come up. I mean, right as, as the sun is coming up, they would go and they would draw water from the well. And this was the time where the women would talk. I mean, obviously, they're all getting water for their homes and the, for their places. They didn't have plumbing, and so you needed water, and they would carry it back to their homes. But they would all gather, and it would literally be like a watering hole. They would come, and they would talk about their days, and they would talk about the local gossip and all these things. And this would happen early in the morning. And all these women would come, they would get their water, and they would, they would chit-chat, talk about their kids, talk about you know, all these different things, and complain about their husbands. They would go home. The reason why this woman was coming at the, in the middle of the day is because she wasn't welcome. 
She wasn't, she wasn't the kind of woman that could go into these, these watering hole conversations and have anything to say. If anything, the women would be the ones to talk about her because of what we have found out. She's had five husbands. And the guy that she's living with currently isn't her husband. And back in the day, that wasn't something, that wasn't something favorable. It wasn't something good because really this was the woman that the other women most likely were, were talking like, oh my goodness, stay away from her because if anything, she might steal your husband. I mean, she already has had five. So how do you know she won't go and try to get your man? So just stay away from her. Don't talk to her. Leave her alone. So now this woman has learned over the years, instead of trying to go early in the morning when it's cool and it's easy to get water, she's going to go at noon. She's going to go when, it, when it's the hottest part of the day. She's going to go when the sun's out and no one else is around because it's also too hot. So Jesus is out there and his disciples have gone and, and, and gone to go to the grocery store to go buy food. And, and the grocery store is far away, so Jesus is by himself. And he's by himself and he sees this woman drawing water from the well. And Jesus does something that he shouldn't have done. He does something that is not culturally acceptable. He does something that is not socially acceptable. He asks this woman for a, wa uh, for a drink of water. Oh, shameful. And again, it doesn't really make sense to us, but Jesus being a single man and this woman being by herself in this culture, Jesus simply approaching a woman and talking to her is very, is very like, oh my goodness, how could he? How could he talk to this, this woman and ask her for something? Like, how, how dare Jesus? Like, this is incredible. He's talking to a woman. And, and not only that, but also Jesus being a Jew and this woman being from Samaria, a Samaritan, these people did not like each other. They had a lot of racial tensions between the two, mostly because of their religions and, and the God that they worship. They didn't agree and see eye to eye. But Jesus speaks to her and asks her, would you give me a drink of water? And this woman is taken aback. How can you ask me for a drink? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. What do you mean? You want me to give you a drink of water? You're crazy. And Jesus begins to tell her, if you knew, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for living water. If you knew who I was, you would be, you would be the one asking me for living water because whoever drinks of this normal water will become thirsty again, but the one who drinks of the living water will have a spring. This, this water just gushing out of him for eternity, this eternal living water. And the woman obviously is a little confused. She's a little confused and she goes, okay, can I have this living water? And Jesus tells her, he, he goes, all right, Go and tell your husband, come back, and I'll give you living water. And this woman's like, uh, I don't have a husband. I, I don't have a husband, so I can't do what you asked me to do. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. Not only do you not have a husband, you've had five of them. And not only have you had five of them, the, one, the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. This, this conversation is really awkward. It's really like, like it's like grinding teeth. It's, it, it, it doesn't make anyone comfortable. And this is, this is how I want our, uh, us to understand the word of God is in many ways. A lot of us, we just read this story and we just go through as fast as we can and we don't allow the awkwardness, the conflict to rest in our hearts, to struggle with us. And so we miss what the Holy Spirit is trying to impress on you. 
The first lesson I want us to learn from this story, this very short story, is Jesus is talking to someone he shouldn't be talking to, and so should you. Jesus is talking to someone that culture has said, you shouldn't hang around that person. You shouldn't associate with that person. Jesus is actively going to that person and reaching out to them. And the second point I want, I want you to understand is that Jesus is not trying to go to that person and saying, I am Jesus, I am the living water, come and ask me for water and I will give it to you. He says something very different. He asks, would you give me water? I know that's, that doesn't make much sense. But what I want you to understand is many times the church, when reaching out to undesirables, when reaching out to, to the impoverished and the poor, they go to the poor and they go, oh, you're so, you're so pathetic. <laughs> Here, let me give you money. Let me give you food. Let me give you clothes. And in that way, you will be blessed. And so go on your way. Jesus does something very different. He sees this woman being ostracized and alone and, and very sad. And instead of going to her and saying, woman, I am Jesus. I am the Savior. Come and follow me. All your problems will disappear. He instead goes to her and says, hey, can you give me a drink of water? He asks her. And it's in that, in her, in him asking her, inviting her to serve him, inviting her to serve the Savior, that he uses that as an avenue for her to learn about who Jesus really is. The example I can give of how this looks like in real life is I go on a lot of mission trips and a lot of medical mission trips. And these mission trips, a lot of times we have students or we have people come that aren't Christian. And there's a lot of times where people are like, wait, is that allowed? Like, these people who aren't Christians are allowed to go on mission with you? Like, isn't God, like, angry? Like, doesn't God not like the fact that there's some people that are doing mission work that aren't believers? And my response has, has changed or has, has been tweaked. What I realize more and more is that unbelievers being a part of the ministry, serving in the ministry, can be a way for them to learn about Jesus. What I've learned about medical missions, what I've learned about doing ministry, is that all of the work that we do, all of the work that people do, that are done by human hands, is temporary. When, I, when we go on medical missions and we go and we, we, we treat these patients and we do these things and we pull out their teeth and we, we do all these things, it is a temporary fix. They will get more cavities. They will get sick again. They will need more medication. They will need more because it's a daily, it's a monthly, it's a yearly need. But what can happen is if Jesus enters into their life, that Jesus suffices a need in them that is eternal. So when Jesus is asking this woman, would you, give me a, would you serve me a drink of water? He points and he explains to her, the water that you would give me is temporary. The water that Jesus has to offer is eternal. So again, the, what I'm learning in terms of ministry from this lesson alone is that Jesus is willing to go to people that are undesirable, people that are, are ostracized and on the fringes of the society because of the way that they live and their lifestyle. He's willing to go and speak with them and ask them to join in the ministry, to join in in serving him. And the way in which he does it is amazing. He points out their sin. 
he reveals to them their sin. This is where we do a terrible job because we've come so accustomed to hiding our sin, to hiding ourselves, to building up walls so that if I serve in the church, if I, if I do a ministry, if I'm the one, if I'm even the one who's cooking the food, if I'm the one who's even doing worship, I need to make sure that I have no sin and that I am clean, I am holy, I'm good because people are expecting me to be the one in charge. Jesus does the opposite. He says, would you come and serve me? And not only when you come and serve me, you're going to learn that you, what you have to offer is very temporary, but what I have to offer is eternal. He goes like this, and you know what? <laughs> you're pretty sinful. You, you, you've lived with five guys. You've been married five times, and now the guy you're living with isn't even your husband. And you have to understand, the way that he does this is not to judge her, but it's to show her that he is Lord, that he is king. Her response to this isn't, oh, I'm so shame. I'm in, I'm in so much shame. Please don't talk to me. Her response is, you must be God. What I'm learning in church and many times is, is when we share our sins to one another, when we share our sins to one another, it is not about making each other feel bad or trying to just say, oh, your sin's not that bad, don't worry about it. The reason why we share and we confess to one another and we bring it out into the open is to remember that regardless of your sin, that our sin does not detract from our Savior. That it doesn't matter if you've been married five times. It doesn't matter if the person you're living with isn't your husband. It doesn't matter about the sin in your life because Jesus is the one who is calling you. Jesus is the one calling you. I think we forget this in the church. I think the church becomes far too closed off. Too many walls are built up when Jesus wants no walls at all. Jesus can see through walls. He can see you. He knows you. Don't think that just, become, just because you come to church dressed up nicely with all your makeup on that Jesus can't see how broken things are inside. Of course he can see how broken things are. And he wants to help you. He wants to bring you to a place where you can recognize and realize that he sees you and he loves you. So this woman says, you must be a prophet. The only way you could have known that, that the only way you could have known that in privileged information is if you are from God. And, and, and she explains, well, you know what? As a Samaritan, we worship on this mountain, and you're a Jew, so you worship in Jerusalem. And so we worship in different places. So where should I worship? What should I worship? And Jesus makes it clear to her. He goes, you don't know what you're worshiping. You're not worshiping the true God. And, and this woman and the Samaritan God is a little bit different. It's a little bit pagan. It's not exactly what it is. Jesus explains that salvation is found from the Jews, and he's pointing to himself. He's basically trying to explain to her is that the God that you're worshiping isn't really a God. The only God is the God of the Jews, and I am the Savior. I am the Messiah. And the, and the woman, she even agrees. She goes, I've heard of the Messiah. I've heard about, about the Christ. And, and, and I, I've heard that he's come to save the world. And Jesus says, I am he. What I see in this is very, is very telling. See, in our world, we may not have 
a different religion that many people have fallen into. Still in our country, Christianity seems to be one of the majority, one of the, the, the most popular religions. And now in our culture, it's more of an agnostic atheism that has become far more popular. But really what ends up happening is that instead of people worshiping God, people have decided that their time, effort, and energy, and their sacrifice, their worship, is meant to fulfill success. That the God that they desire is success. And I think that's the easiest way for me to describe it. And so imagine the Samaritan woman isn't talking about the Samaritan God, but she's saying, you know what, I'm here to fulfill my career goals. You know, like you worship in Jerusalem, you know, I worship Apple. You know, I worship, I worship Google. I worship my stock. I worship, I, worship the, I worship the market, the economy. Because, you know, I, I worship education. I worship Harvard. I worship Yale. I worship the things that bring me success. So what should I begin to, should I, should I just forego all of that and go into the church, into the temple and worship you there? Jesus begins to explain to her that worship only happens in spirits and in truth, and it's in this mystery, it's in this understanding that it's not that we have to worship in the church or in Jerusalem. It's not that we have to forego all the success and all the trappings. It's that the priority of the worship is directed to the Messiah. It's directed to Jesus. Because the, the direction of the worship is neither, it's not anything to do about where you worship from, but it has everything where you worship to. See, it revealed to her, it revealed to her that he was the Messiah, that he is the Christ, he is the Savior. He wasn't saying, okay, you need to move out of Samaria, you need to move away from this mountain and come move to Jerusalem. He wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying, quit your job, you know, sell everything you have, and, and come to Jerusalem. Really, what Jesus is notorious for saying to people is, sell everything you have and come follow me. It's not about the place you're in, but it's about who you're following that is far more important. What, what, what I'm learning from the way Jesus' ministry has is many people are afraid that Jesus is going to ask you to move where you are. And yes, he might. But more importantly than him asking you to quit your job or move, he's asking you a simple question of come and follow me. That's the question that is far scarier than him asking you to quit your job. That is far more of a, a frightening question question for him to ask you than for him to ask you to empty your bank account and give it to the poor. The far more incredibly difficult question that Jesus is asking is, are you willing to follow me because I'm the savior of the world? What we know is that Jesus asked his disciples and his disciples were, were very giddy. They're like, oh yeah, of course, we'll follow you. You know, we followed you for so many years. Jesus many times is asking us, are you willing to follow me even unto death? even unto the cross. When we talk about worship, worshiping in spirit and in truth, it has nothing to do with your location. It has nothing to do with your circumstance. Is are you willing to follow Jesus? That's it. When we worship, when we sing songs of praise, when we sing these songs, I hope you know it doesn't matter how good you sound, but it has everything to do with your heart posture, with are we proclaiming you are the Savior and my life's goal is to follow you. That is what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. 
that at any cost we will follow Jesus. Let's continue in the passage. Verse 27, just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. Uh, again, culturally it's weird that he's talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Because, you know, he's Jesus. He's, he, he could strike them down. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town, all the people, and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Oh my goodness. Love this verse. Love this this scenario, Jesus' disciples are coming back after they have their bags of groceries and they're coming and they're like, okay, Jesus, oh my goodness, what are you doing? You're talking to a woman. All right, Jesus, uh, eat. Here's the food we got you. You know, like, uh, come on, just, just eat. And while they're doing this, this woman has put down her water jar and gone into town and told everybody, told all the people that hate her, despise her, ostracize her, and been like, guess what, there's a guy over there, he's the Christ. He is the Christ. He knows everything about me. You need to go talk to him. And so the whole town, this whole little town, everyone has heard this crazy woman, this, this, this sinful woman. They've all gotten up and they're all going to see Jesus. And in the meanwhile, Jesus' disciples are trying to do what we do all the time. They're trying to serve Jesus. They're, they're trying to, to serve their Lord. And what they're doing is great. They're trying to feed Jesus. They're trying to give him food. They're probably, you know, trying to cook up something up, making sandwiches, you know, chopping up, the, you know, all the vegetables and all this stuff. And they're like, Jesus, eat. Here, here's a kebab. You know, like, here, have this food. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Do you not see there are people coming? Do you not see over there all those people that are coming and they want prayer? They want to hear what God has to say to them. Stop, stop, stop with your food. Stop with all of, all of your, your serving and understand that I'm not hungry for what you have to offer me. I'm hungry for the harvest. I'm hungry for these souls. I'm hungry that they would come to know me. See, the disciples, they were so fixated on serving Jesus the way they wanted to serve Jesus. And again, it's not like they were getting reprimanded for trying to feed Jesus. That's not what they were getting reprimanded for. It was that Jesus' focus wasn't on lunch. Jesus' focus was on the people who were coming. So the disciples should have been sensitive to Jesus' perspective. His eyesight, they should have turned around and started making lines. They started turning around and starting to organize and starting to, to make sure that all the people could have their turn talking to Jesus. They should have been the ones who, as the people are waiting, that instead of feeding Jesus, they should have been giving the food that they bought for Jesus to the people. I mean, like, okay, sorry for the wait. Here's, here's a falafel. You know, here, here's a, some bread. Here's some pita. You know, here's all this stuff. They should have known that the more important thing wasn't the food, but it was the souls. And also, what I want to make very clear, 
the evangelist in this story, the one who did the most work. Jesus talks about a lot about the harvest, the reapers and the sowers. The one who was doing the hardest work was the sinful woman. Y'all, you don't understand. The one who was doing the hardest work of bringing this multitude of people to come and meet Jesus was the woman and her life story, her testimony, her pain, her sin, her brokenness is what brought people to Jesus, not the disciples. Many times, a lot of you are frustrated because people aren't coming to know Jesus and it's because we've kicked out the sinners. We've made the sinners feel like they are not welcome in our home when they are the ones who can bring the most people in. See, testimony. The ones where sinners can come and meet and encounter Jesus, their reaction is to go out into the society, into town, and tell the world, I've, I've heard of Jesus. Come, meet him. Our job, our job in that scenario is to serve those people that come. Give them an opportunity to talk to Jesus, to meet with him, to worship him in spirit and in truth. I think we need to flip it around. See, a lot of times, the best evangelists in our society, I don't think that they, they wear suits. I don't think they have clean-cut haircuts. I don't think that they, they look the part. You know, I think maybe the best evangelists may be covered in tattoos. I think the best evangelist may be an ex-convict. I think the best evangelist may be someone who would, who would be counted as, as shameful. But as long as they encounter the living water, that when they ask the Lord for, their, for his living water, that out of them would be an, a spring that would well up and they would begin to share. I want to see our city be transformed. And I'm asking God would bring more people to our church. Not so that our church would be bigger. That means nothing to me. What I want is that our church would be a place where Jesus can be preached every single week. And what I'm saying is, is that people who are sinful need to hear about the Christ, about Jesus who has come, because what they're doing out in the world, what they're trying to feed and fill in their hearts is temporary, and they're all going to die. And so don't we have have some compassion to give them living water so that they can thrive and live. But many times that message can't come from you. Many times people aren't going to listen to you because you've been a Christian and you look so good, you look so clean. And so when you share the gospel to them, they're going to be like, nah, it's because, it's because your life has been so easy. That's why you're a Christian. Sometimes it's about bringing them in and having their testimony, having their hurts, their pains being the thing that is sowing. And our job is to reap. Our job is to harvest. Our job is to come and, 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 and join together as a church and worship in one song, in spirit and in truth. The church is a place for sick. The church is a place for the unhealthy. The church is the place for the sinful. Let us not forget that. Jesus deliberately went out, deliberately chose to talk to this woman. He wasn't supposed to talk to this woman. He shouldn't have talked to this woman. 
It was shameful for him to talk to this woman. But this woman became one of the most powerful evangelists. She brought a whole town to come and meet Jesus. That's powerful and that's effective. I mean, talk about the other disciples. They're out grocery shopping. They're, they're not doing any good work. They're just grocery shopping. But you know what God can do? He can use a sinner like her to build up his kingdom. So I want to let you know he can use a sinner like you to build up his kingdom. He can use a sinner like your coworker. He can use a sinner like your high school friend. He can use anyone to build up his kingdom. The question is, what is our focus? This woman had to learn it wasn't about worshiping, worshiping her God on the mountain of Samaria. It wasn't about worshiping God in Jerusalem. It was all about worshiping Jesus. I've become sick and tired of, of, listening, to, of listening to the media, not even just the media, just people in our society and how godless we become, how atheistic and agnostic we become because of how religious Christianity has become. That there's this, this, there is this, this disdain for Christianity and, and people are so angry and frustrated with the church and that breaks my heart. It really does. And if you talk to people who have been hurt by the church, it breaks my heart. Because when I talk about Jesus, this is the Jesus that I talk about. He is not here to hurt. He is here to save. Yes, he points out sin and he does not compromise. He did not tell this woman, oh, it's great you have you had five husbands. It's great you live with someone who is not your husband. It's not that he condones her sin, but he gives her a way to understand that she is still valid. She is still accepted into a relationship with him despite her sin. There's a question that she asks in the very beginning. You know, he asks, can I have a drink of water? And she says, where is this well? How did you dig this well that you could offer living water to me? You know, Jacob, our forefather, he dug this well, and that because he dug this well, we are able to drink from it. Jesus, what well did you dig that we could have living water? Jesus dug the well of living water by giving up his life on a cross for us. The well that he dug, that we can drink from every day, was dug because he had nails driven into his hands, nails driven into his feet. So as, as we share the gospel, let us understand that it's come at a great cost. As we offer this living water to our neighbors, let us understand that the reason why Jesus is able to offer it freely is because he gave his life for us and for our sins. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Father, let us learn a lesson from this woman. That Lord, that as many times the church has become a place of the righteous and a place of, of, of spotless living. God, let us, let us change our ways and welcome those with sinful lives. Let us welcome those who have, who, have, who have a hard past, who have a hard present. Let us welcome those with open arms, those that don't look like us, those that don't have the same culture as us. Let us welcome those that don't live such a perfect life and let us come so that we can worship you together. Father, I pray for our, our city. I pray for the city of Denver. Father, I pray for those that feel that the church is against them. I pray that they would come to know that Jesus is for them. 
and that Jesus is offering them living water, living water that he's, he's, he's paid for by his body and his blood. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.